All right, but while they're passing out the paper and the pens, I want to tell you guys, because Joel mentioned the, the Halloween uh, murder mystery thing. Um, we did it the last time we did it. Naya was a senior in high school. She mentioned um, her team won, apparently, which is awesome. Spoiler, I guess, somehow. Um, so I was just thinking about Halloween because we were, Joel and I were talking about planning this murder mystery, what that's going to look like. Um, and I love Halloween. It's, it's a, in my opinion, it's becoming a more underrated holiday. I get psyched. I still like to dress up with my friends. I think that's fun, getting in costume, having a good time. So we're psyched to see what you guys um, come up with for your costumes. But Halloween got me thinking about something that, um, something that I used to get really obsessive about when I was a kid, something that I had like a weird compulsive need to like try to have control over. Um, have any of you guys ever like really tried to obsessively control something in your life? Maybe you relate, no, someone's like, nope, I can't relate to that. Some of you are like, that's me. Um, <clears throat> when I was a kid, this was the thing and I thought it was a huge deal. I thought it was like the biggest deal and it was candy. Um, Cause Halloween got me thinking about candy. And so when I was a kid, um, it's the reason that, oh, candy, that's fun. Um, it's the reason that when I grew up, I had a bunch of cavities and stuff, so it wasn't such a good decision. But um, when I got like a little bit of independence, you know, I could ride my bike to 7-Eleven. I thought I was really cool. Uh, so my friends and I would bike to this 7-Eleven that was by my house, and I would buy like hot tamales and um, like sour gummy worms. I loved like the sour and the like gummy and the chewy candies. I wasn't so much about chocolate. Chocolate's still good, but. Um, those ones were my favorites, kind of the ones that you see up here. And I would bring them back home. I'd have like a bag of just like filled with different candy. And my mom or my sister would ask me for some, and I would say most people's favorite word, which is no. Um, I know, I'm just joking, mainly. But um, so I would say no because I didn't want to share my candy that was mine, that I had earned with like my. You know, my like really small allowance that I got from mowing the lawn, I, I was like, this is my money, you know, um, this is my candy. And like from such an early age, you're, we're taught to say that word, right? We're like the birds from Finding Nemo, like mine, mine, like that's my candy, you can't have any. And it would even get to this point where like I would <laughs> just take like, I'd pour the rest of whatever bag I had into my hand and I'd like shove it all in my mouth and be like, I don't have any more, mom, sorry. Um, I just didn't want to share. Um, I was like really, really obsessed with controlling my like candy supply. That was my thing and no one could touch it. <laughs> Thank you, Joel. Um, and so <laughs> I say this to say that I think sometimes we're like that in our lives with, with bigger things, with more important things. Um, the older we get, the stinger we start to be with our time and who we hang out with and what, um, you know, we're going to spend our time doing, we start to really get like, um, we feel this like ownership and this need to control all these different areas of our lives. And it's not just in our relationships with each other. I think that we even get like this in our relationships with God, where we have like the nerve to tell God that like he can control certain things in our life, but like certain aspects, maybe this one particular thing in your life, like, no, God, you can't have that thing. It's mine. You can't have that area of my life that's mine. You can go maybe there, there, and there, but you can't have this one part of my life. Um, and I want to tell you guys, this is the big idea for today. It's going to be the first thing on your sheet, that God doesn't just want parts of your life. 
He wants all of your life. He doesn't just want parts of your life. He wants all of it. So if you've been with us, we've been in our Exodus series. We've been talking about Moses a lot. He was a big focus at Catalina. Um, and so we talked about how the Israelites were in slavery and how Moses, he grew up in the Egyptian palace. He grew up in luxury. But then one day he was out and he saw an Egyptian that was kind of whipping or like beating up on his fellow Hebrew because Moses was a Hebrew. Those were his people. So he got angry about that. He kills the Egyptian, and then he runs away to this place called Midian, which is kind of the middle of nowhere, a desert place, and he's kind of been living there for a little while. Um, and so where we're going to read is a little bit past what we've talked about um, with a burning bush and stuff, but before we jump ahead, we're going to be in Exodus 4. If you guys have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open there now. But before we get there, um, before uh, we can understand the passage for today, we need to talk a little bit about Moses' family. We haven't talked about Moses' family a whole lot, and that's because Scripture doesn't say a whole lot about them. Um, but we do know a couple things. So the first introduction we get to Moses' future wife at this point uh, is in Exodus chapter 2. So Moses is hanging out by a well in Midian, and there are seven girls who come to this well to get water, to feed their sheep, and to give them water, to take care of them. And the text doesn't give us specifics as to what happens here, but it says these other, this group of shepherds comes and they're trying to like, you know, get the girls out of there. They're kind of harassing them, pushing them away. And so Moses steps in, go Moses. He helps them out. He, you know, like gets them to leave the girls alone. And then they just kind of go on their separate ways. And one of the girls is named Zipporah. They come home and Zipporah is telling her dad about what happened. And, and the dad, his name is Jethro. He's like, wait, what the heck? Like, you need to go back and get him. Like, we need to thank him. We need to just, like, show some hospitality because that used to be a thing that, that people did, and that's cool. Um, so Jethro has them go back. Moses comes over for dinner, and next thing you know, um, they're having a nice dinner. They must have had a great conversation because um, Jethro offers Zipporah's hand in marriage to Moses. Guess things moved pretty quick back then. Um, <laughs> But so they agree to get married, and then literally the next verse, again, we're just going to assume that between some of these verses, there's like some time that's passed, but they agree to get married, and then the next verse tells us that Moses and Zipporah have a child together. So things are moving quick in the story, um, but there's just some time that's passed in between, we're assuming. So um, they get married, um, and then Moses and Zipporah, and then they have a son named Gershom. Everyone say Gershom. Gershom. It's kind of a weird name. I like Zipporah's name. I think that's cool. Gershom's a little bit more of like a weird name, like one I haven't heard as much before. But Gershom's name is actually super significant, what it means in the Bible. Again, we used to do this thing where names had like a lot of significance and meaning behind them. And maybe like you have a cool name like that that has like a lot of significance. And so Gershom's name was that way too. So his name means, I've become an alien in an alien land which is basically Moses saying, I don't belong here. Like we said, he grew up in the Egyptian palace, which wasn't his, that, that's not his people. That wasn't where he felt like he belonged. Then he was living in Midian after he had ran away. And again, he's just, that's not his people. That's not where he belongs. And so the Israelites at this point, um, the Hebrew people, they don't have a homeland yet. They don't have what, what God has promised them. Um, which will become the nation of Israel. So Moses is more so people sick than he is homesick, but he realizes I'm not where I'm supposed to be. 
Um, and then, you guys know this part of the story. Um, he has this crazy encounter. He's working for his father-in-law, Jethro. He's kind of got it going pretty good. He's got this job as a shepherd. And then he encounters God in this burning bush. And he gives God all these different excuses. He's like, no, God, I don't want to do what you're asking me to do. I'm kind of cool just doing my shepherd thing. Like, if you could just leave me out of it, maybe you could use someone else. Um, God, as he does, breaks through all these barriers, breaks through all these excuses, and Moses is basically like, okay, fine. You know, I'm going to do what you've asked me to do. Okay, I'll go to Egypt. I'll, I'll tell Pharaoh what you want me to tell Pharaoh. Like, I'll do it. And so Moses finally gets to this point. Um, and where we're going to pick up the story in chapter 4, there's one other important thing that Moses has been holding back from God. He's given God all these excuses. He's given God all these things. Um, and he's kind of let go of all of them. He's kind of let God into his feelings of inadequacy. He, he, like, he agrees to have Aaron, his brother, sent with him. So he's going to have a friend. He's going to have his brother. Um, God is finally getting into these different parts of Moses' life. But there's one important thing that Moses has been holding back. And we're going to find out uh, about that specifically in chapter 4. So if you guys have your Bibles, it's also going to be up on the screen. But we love a good physical Bible. So I'm just going to flip there for a second. Uh, we're starting in Exodus 4 um, and verse 20, which says this. So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey, and started back to Egypt. And he took the staff of God in his hand. Okay, a couple things. Apparently they had more kids who just don't really get named in the story, but it says sons. So they got a little family now. That's awesome. Moses is, is excited about that. And um, he's just packing them up, they're getting ready to go, and he's got the staff of God in his hand. So he's kind of accepted his mission, and he's beginning his journey, and they're finally setting out. After all these excuses, after everything, they're finally going to go for it. Um, and now, i got to level with you guys for a second. I'm going to be real with you. This, is, this next section is a chunk of the Bible that a lot of people, when they get to it, they just skip right over it. And that's not because it's like, it shouldn't be in the Bible or something like that, but it does get a little awkward. And it, it does take some explaining to make sense of. So uh, Joel and I were talking about this, and I was telling him that I think you guys are Bible scholars. I think that you guys can handle this. Um, and I think that we're going to talk through it together. So just stick with me, um, and we're going to get into it. Like, this is the real deal. This is uh, the Bible, and so we're not going to hold it back from you guys. So... In a second, it's going to come up on the screen, and I don't know why I closed my Bible, because I needed, op needed it open. So um, we're going to be starting in verse 24. So this is what it says, okay? Stick with me. We're going to unpack it. Okay, here we go. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. We'll come back to that. But Zipporah took a flint, flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin, and touched Moses' feet with it. That's kind of gross. <laughs> Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. And you might be thinking to yourself, Will, what's going on here? Okay, we're going to talk about that. First thing, why is God about to kill Moses? What's up with that? Um, as I was doing all kinds of research, reading commentaries, looking at, at, at background information, the best thing that I could compare this to to help make sense of it is if you guys know... Um, the biblical story earlier in Genesis, there's this account with Abraham 
where God asks Abraham to sacrifice his only son who he'd been waiting his whole life to have, to sacrifice him on this altar, to see just how dedicated, how committed Abraham was to obeying God. And Abraham loves God, so he's going to do this, even though it's tearing him up inside. He's bringing the knife down on Isaac and God to stop. So it's a moment of intense testing. And it's going to say on your sheet there that God's intention wasn't to kill Moses or to hurt Gershom. Um, It was to test Moses. And I know it sounds a little extreme, and nothing this crazy has ever happened in my life, but God has brought me to these rock-bottom type of moments where I had nothing else to do except admit that I needed God, admit that I'd been kind of holding something back from him, that I wasn't giving him everything that I had, and I needed that crazy dramatic moment for God to get my attention. Because we're an easily distracted people, Um, we often just kind of continue in our patterns of sin and say, oh, well, God doesn't really care about that. Uh, we, We just keep kind of doing things the same way, and we'll, you know, we'll show up to church on Sundays and come to well on Wednesdays, but we don't live like we're Christians the rest of the time, and we're just like, okay, God's okay with that. And there might be these moments where something kind of crazy happens, where, like, for me, it was just when a lot of relationships failed, I was brought to these rock-bottom moments where I was like, okay, no, I really need to give everything that I have over to God, and I think that's what's happening here. Um, God needed to do something dramatic to get Moses' attention. And so the second question that we need to answer is, what's up with circumcision? Why is that in the Bible? Um, why is Zipporah kind of dramatically in that moment, like, you know, circumcising their son? There is a reason circumcision is very important in Scripture. Um, before we had baptism, which we'll talk about in a little bit, the sign that you were a part of the family of God was circumcision. All the young boys that were, were Hebrew that were a part of the family of God would be circumcised. And so Gershom wasn't circumcised. And so basically that's Moses holding back his family from God and saying, all right, God, I've finally given in. I'm going to do what you want. I'm going to go to to Egypt. I'm going to talk to Pharaoh, but I'm going to kind of keep my family over here. Like, just don't really touch them. Kind of leave them alone. I don't really want them to be a part of this because it sounds like it's going to be a lot of work. I think it's going to be hard. And so I just kind of want to have my family. And that's the thing that Moses wanted to be in control of, the thing that Moses wasn't giving over to God. And so Gershom's circumcision helps us see that saying we're a part of the family of God is not the same thing as taking a step in actually being a part of the family of God. I think I feel that. You know, I think a lot of you guys might feel that too. Like, um, we've been at these places in our faith either before or right now where we're like, yes, I'm about that. I go to church. I do the thing. Maybe you're even on student leadership. You've been on a mission trip. Whatever it is, I put a dollar bill in the offering plate. Um, and, and like we're, we're kind of like halfway into Christianity, but we're not fully committing. And so basically, that's, this is Moses telling, telling God that, um, that Gershom isn't really a part of his family. That um, when you were a part of the family of God, it meant that you were an heir to the promises, right? That you were looking forward to the promised land, that you were going to be a part of this nation that was supposed to bless the whole world, and that when you were a part of God's family, you would be taken care of, provided for, looked out for, you'd have all that you needed because God was taking care of you. And by Gershom not being circumcised, this is basically Moses saying that, that Gershom isn't like an heir to that promise, that he's not a part of that family, that he won't receive those blessings because Moses is kind of holding his family at arm's length from God. 
And so um, today, that sign that I was talking about of being a part of the family of God, it's no longer circumcision for a lot of reasons. Um, they just We circumcise young babies now, young baby boys, because of health reasons. Um, but also the, the symbolism of like a painful kind of sacrifice uh, that would require blood, that was taken care of by Jesus on the cross, and so we no longer need to do that. And also to be inclusive of all people, to do something that both men and women could be a part of, we, we started doing this thing that Jesus commanded us to do called baptism. And that's now the sign um, that we're a part of the covenant. And just like circumcision, baptism is an action we take externally to show the reality of our inward transformation. So it's something that if you guys have seen baptisms happen in church, maybe you've been baptized. Um, you know, at Trinity, we sprinkle water on people's heads. Sometimes, like, people will get fully, like, dunked into water and come back out. We believe that's an outward representation of something that's happening inside you. So when you become a part of the family of God, and now that's through baptism, not circumcision, that's giving up on your old life of sin, walking away from that, and, and fully entering into what God has for you. It's not holding anything back from him. It's saying that you'll find your identity in him and that you'll live your life for him. And that's kind of what's at the heart of baptism and these signs of being a part of the family of God. And so, like, when we hold these things back from God, he wants so much more for us. But we're often not really ready to take those steps. Um, to, we're not ready to be baptized or to, na- to take that next step to be fully invested in our faith because we're, we're still tightly clinging on to those things that we feel like we have to control. Like God wants to put things in our hands, but we're already like, you know, clenched around these different things in our lives that we feel like are the most important thing, the ultimate thing. And so we can't really enter into that next phase of what God has for us until we let those things go and, and give that up to him. So I want to ask you guys this morning, um, what is it that you're holding back from God? Um, what are you desperately trying to cling on to, to control? Um, I think for many of us, we live our lives like it's this cabinet thingy. I think cabinet is the right word. I have stressed out about this way too much. I don't really know what it's called, but we're going with cabinet, shelf. You know, I don't know what it is, but... Cubby? cubby? All right, let's go with cubby. That's fun. So we live our lives like it's this cubby, and it, it has all these different compartments, these different areas of our life that we kind of um, disconnect from each other. We kind of have them severed, and we say, like, you know what, okay, uh, God can, obviously God's a part of church. You know, God, I go to church to worship God. My family and I go to church together. That's great. Um, maybe some of us will let God into, like, our family life because, Okay, well, I go to church with my family. Maybe we read a Bible verse at dinner, whatever it is. Um, let's see. I don't know. Um, yeah, so I want to pray for good grades. And I want my sports team to go to state, so I'm going to pray for them to do well and for me to be a better player on whatever team I'm on. Um, but eventually, all of us, I think, will get to something where we say, you know, this is the, the compartment, this is the area of the cubby, that God's not allowed to go into. This is my part of the cubby. For me, it was this one. It was romance. It was my relationships. God, you can have everything else in my life, but leave that alone. So I think we're all going to get to something, where if, whether that's our future or our friends. Like, I don't really talk to my friends about Jesus. I, the stuff that I have, you know, like my, my clothes, whatever, like my nice stuff. I want the newest iPhone. I want a nice car someday. 
I want to live in a big house. Like, God can't have that stuff. He can have the rest of my life, but I want to have my money. Um, whatever it might be, we're all going to get to a place where we're holding on to something that we really don't want God to be involved in. Um, and one thing I know for sure, this is true for Moses in this story. It's true uh, for me in my life, and I hope that this will be true for you guys as well. This is, should be the last thing on your sheet there, that we can only fully be used by God when we fully give ourselves to God. Because, like, what I don't want you to hear is that if you're, like, kind of still trying to control something in your life, that God's not going to be able to use you at all. That's not true. But I was just thinking of it like God wants you to run in that direction, you know, and you trying to control something is like you holding this, like, heavy weight in your other hand, and you're trying to run, but you're being slowed down. Like, God can still use you when that's happening, but he wants you to be fully running in this direction, this plan that he has for your life, and you can't do that when you're being dragged down by this other weight. And so, what's your story this morning, you guys? What is that thing in your life that you feel like you're holding on to? We're going to be talking about that in our small groups. Um, maybe you need to do a Bible study with your significant other, so you can, you know, have God at the center of your relationship. You can have appropriate physical boundaries. Maybe you need to pray to God to let go of, of you know, your worries and anxieties about the future. You need to actually talk to your friends at school about Jesus. You need to at least let them know that you're a Christian. Maybe you need to pray for, you know, God to, like, have, you know, don't let me obsess over these material things. Don't let me hold on to these possessions more than I hold on to my relationship with you, because this is the thing, guys, like, none of these categories of the cubby are bad in and of themselves. Those are all good things that God has given us. God wants us to have those things, because God wants a full life for us. He wants an abundant life for us, but what I want you guys to see is that in all these different areas of your life, God wants to be there. God wants you to be a whole person that no matter where you are, whatever area of your life you're in, Jesus is at the center of that area. God wants to be a part of your whole life, not just little tiny you know, areas of the cubby. He wants to be a part of all of it. And so maybe today you're thinking, no, you know, I've talked to my counselor. I've let go of that thing. I want to take the next big step. And so if you're interested in hearing more about baptism We'll be doing a class at Trinity in the spring called Dive, where you'll be able to learn what we believe specifically uh, in Christianity and at Trinity about things like baptism and, and what our faith is about. So if you're ready to take that step, talk to your counselor, come talk to me or Joel. But I also wanted to say that if you're in a place this morning, whether you've been coming here for a long time or, or you're new, you're just checking it out to see if Christians are just as weird as you've heard that they are, um, there is a place for you here. There's a place for your questions. There's a place for you to say, you know what? I am holding lots of things back because I'm not sure if I trust this God that you keep telling me about. You are welcome in this place. Um, it's a safe space for you. Talk to your counselor. They would love to answer your questions. Talk to me or Joel. Um, everyone that's here, we want you here. You belong here. We care about you being here. Um, so we're going to pray together, and then in just a second, we're going to have counselors spread out around the well room. There's a couple of questions on the bottom of your sheet, uh, and you guys can just get into to groups of eight. Yeah, so try to mix classes, um, get with some people you don't normally talk to. Um, I'm going to pray for us, and then you guys will get together in small groups and answer those questions. So let's pray. God, we love you so much. 
Um, we know that you have nothing but the best for our lives in mind, God, and we, we don't want to be held back. Um, Moses was holding back his family from you, God, and, and he gave that up to you in a dramatic way. And just like that, God, we want to let go of the things that might be holding us back from you, God. You want um, to be a part of every aspect of our lives, God, and you want to use all these different areas of our lives um, to help us live out our calling for you, God, rather than having it be something that we try to hide from you or, or control instead of letting you have ownership and control over. So, God, we love you, and um, just help us to dive into these conversations in the little bit of time we have left. We love you, God, and it's your name we pray. Amen. All right, spread out. <laughs>